Hey, Chris to Makes a Podcast producer, Chris Fafalius here. If you enjoy this podcast and you're looking for help with any aspect of your podcast, check out weknowpodcasting.com. Don't hesitate to hit us up. We're friendly people with a real passion for pods. And now, on to this awesome episode. Hey Rockers, today's guest is Pierre Bouvier, lead vocalist for the Montreal Canadian rock band Simple Plan. Pierre and I break down their smash hit, Perfect, taken from the 2002 debut album, No Pads, No Helmets, Just Balls. It was super fun to catch up with Pierre. He and his bandmates are possibly the nicest guys in all of rock and roll. I was fascinated to find out that Arnold Lanny produced their debut. I'm a big fan of a few bands that Arnold's been in, and the more I got into Breaking Down Perfect, the more I could hear his fingerprints all over the track. Pierre was very complimentary to what Arnold brought to the band, arrangement and production-wise, and how his involvement led to shaping their overall sound. We discuss how poignant the lyrics are in this song, and how they truly tug at people's heartstrings. It's a deep emotional level that has had a lasting impact on Simple Plan's career as evidenced by the fact that they're still out there playing to legions of fans 20 years later. For all this and a whole lot more, don't you dare go anywhere. This is a good one. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Pierre, how's it going? What's up, Chris? I am doing great. Life is good. How how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, man, and I'm uh, I'm really excited. I, I told you uh, off recording a little bit ago that a lot of our listeners have asked for Simple Plan, asked for you, and I'm I'm really excited you were able to sit in with us today. That's great. You know, they they ask for the best, they demand the best. They weren't available, so we got Simple Plan. <laughs> <laughs> I love starting with that. That's actually that was the uh, when we when we first got signed to Lava Records back in two thousand in two thousand or two thousand one maybe. We would go and like play these TV shows like MTV or whatever. But we'd go and like play the conference room to try to introduce us to them, you know. And our label would set it up, and that was what uh, Jason Flom, who was the president of Lava at the time, he he would always say that he would say, you know, here at MTV or here at VH1 or here whatever, you you deserve the best, you demand the best. Well, they weren't available. Here's Simple Plan. <laughs> that was like the whole thing. I like it. Well, I got to tell you, you know, and I, I've I've said this numerous times over the years to people that uh, I mean this utmost sincerity. I, I can't think of a nicer band. I, I've always oh, loved you guys. You. Just just absolute, just genuine, great people. Uh, was always proud and happy, happy for your success. And uh, in this uh, this business, as we call it, uh, not everybody's so nice. So I appreciate no, that. <laughs> not always. Yeah. Well, likewise, you guys have always been super cool. And uh, what's funny is that I think that your band and, and my band, we find ourselves at the, uh, the. I remember uh, when we did the last Warp Tour, I think you guys are the band that have played the most Warp Tours. Yeah. And we are second in line. So there you go. I know you're close. Maybe maybe playing a lot of Warp Tours makes you, makes you nice people. 
you know, <laughs> maybe so. And I just, you know, I've said this to a couple, uh, a couple guests that I've had on the show recently that, uh, a, I don't know where the time has went and B like you guys to me are still kids and still like the new band. Where the hell did the last 21 years go? <laughs> I know. Right. But you know, I think it's a, it's a feeling that, that follows us forever. And I, maybe it's part, I guess I'm understanding now that it's part of who I am as a person, but I've always felt like like the new young kid on the block and trying to prove something. But at this point, I mean, we've been in a band for over 20 years. And even if you count my band before this with Chuck, we've been in a band for almost 30 years. And uh, I yeah. still, I still yeah. feel like when I meet people, I'm always like, oh, hi, I'm nice, nice to meet you. And it's like, I'm like, well, I'm 42 years old and I've been around the block quite a few times. And it's like, now I'm supposed to be the old guy with the knowledge and the, you know, we're the elders and it's weird, you know? Well, and, and, and I'm going to segue from that into, uh, for the listeners, I mean, uh, most of our listeners obviously have heard of you or know and f- have followed the band. But for those who haven't, and I have to assume some of you may not know, I'm going to give you a little, little history here. Simple Plan was formed in uh, Montreal in 1999. And as uh, Pierre was just talking about, uh, him and Chuck Como, their drummer, uh, you guys were in Reset. Yep. And you guys carved a name out for yourselves. You were uh, more of a hardcore uh, uh, punk rock band. And then uh, you guys kind of ended up uh, forming Simple Plan in, in 99. Your first record was released on March 19th of 2002. Uh, no pads, no helmets, just balls on Atlantic Records, Lava, as yep. you were saying. Uh, you guys were out on one of your first tours supporting Sugar Ray, then Blink-182 and Green Day on the Pop Disaster Tour. I remember that. Tons of Warp Tours. And then uh, on that uh, first record, you were uh, did the U.S. with Good Charlotte. You made appearances on TRL when that was a thing. Conan O'Brien, Jimmy Kimmel Live, The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. Uh, and that album produced four singles. I'm Just a Kid, I Do Anything, Addicted, and the song we're going to talk about today, Perfect, which was released on August 26, 2003, with 160 million YouTube plays. That's insane. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. And that's, I think that if that song was released, you know, uh, or if that, if that hit would have happened you know, five years ago, those numbers would be way bigger because, you know, we're, that didn't exist back then. You know, YouTube wasn't around. Absolutely. Um, so for those numbers, yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, I mean, I think that Perfect has been a song that I think connected with our fan base in such a deep way that we still see that passion with our fans because of that initial, you know, uh, encounter with the song. People listened to that song back in the day and really felt uh, a huge connection. And it's really helped us be the band that we are today and we always play that song and it's always the the show finisher and it's just uh i think it means a lot to a lot of people and uh it's just one of those things that just happened you know and it's it's pretty cool it definitely means a lot to a lot of a lot of people and, and, and we're going to get into that the warp tour 2003 is when this single was released we were on the tour with you guys that year and i just i saw it blow up in front of my face you guys just it just was happening and and the, uh, i've talked about it on the show before the the machine i've witnessed the machine with a number of bands and uh atlantic did a great job i mean you guys you know the whoever the management team behind you guys then and, and you guys were working your working your tails off uh perfect was the fourth and final single from the record uh the song became a top 40 hit in the US, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. Um, and the song was written uh, by the band along with music composer and producer Arnold Lanny. He's a Canadian record producer and a former member of Frozen Ghost and Sheriff. And I got to tell you, we do we have a VIP program uh, for the podcast called Supporting Cast, and our show is called The After Party uh, for our VIP members. And we did a Guilty Pleasures recently, and I didn't even know you were going to be on the show yet, Pierre. Uh, the song When I'm With You by Sheriff. I've always loved that song. Oh, it's that so good. song it's is so good. It's so good. It's Baby, like the, the... <laughs> I get chills when I'm with you. It's so good. Baby. 
It's so awesome. And I didn't know that Arnold produced your record. I had no idea, which I want to get into that in a bit. I I, I feel like he's the weirdest choice uh, on paper, but the more I think about it now and the more I listen to Perfect the past couple days, and I've listened to it about 30 times, I've really gotten into this. And of course, I'd heard the song before, but I really uh, got my pulse on the song. Uh, it just made sense that he were to produce this because, you know, you guys were a pop punk band, but I, I think the emphasis on the pop, man, you know, For you guys sure. have always had the, had those pop hooks. Yep. Arnold Lanning has also produced uh, Finger Eleven, Our Lady Peace, and uh, King's X, who we recently had on the show, which I thought that was pretty cool. Perfect was Simple Plan's biggest hit uh, on the Billboard Hot 100, peaking at number uh, 24. And since then, you guys have released four other full lengths, still not getting any great record with Bob Rock. Amazing production, 2004. Thank you. Uh, the self-titled Simple Plan in 2008, uh, Get Your Heart H-E-A-R-T, Get Your Heart On in 2011, and Taking One for the Team in 2016. So uh, again, man, just uh, congratulations on, on still doing it. It's, it's awesome. Yeah, thank you. And we're, we're about to put out some new music. We have a record that we've been sitting on for the last year and change. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's the one thing that I look back and I, you know, when when I, I, I try to think about the things that I'm most grateful for in my life and in my career, and I think it's the longevity. It's having the fan base there with us all along this entire ride and still having fans and still having people follow us on Instagram and, and you know, TikTok and whatever, and even have a recent hit on TikTok with I'm Just a Kid. The I'm Just a Kid challenge blew up on TikTok over the last couple years, and uh, I think that's the one thing I'm the most uh, proud of and most grateful for is uh, having fans still here, you know, 20 plus years later. And it's astonishing. Time goes by quickly, especially as you get older. And you would know this is the same as I do. And uh, the fact that we're still here and like you guys still playing shows and still making music and still producing music. And it's, uh, it's a real blessing. So we're really happy. It is, man. That's refreshing to hear you say that. And I'll tell you, I, I researched a bunch of live videos on the song as I was, uh, you know, going through it. And I had heard this and, and, you know, it's the old joke. We're big in Japan and less than Jake's done well in Japan over the years. I know you guys have, too. But it's not just Japan. It's the other Asian countries like Indonesia, man. The, what's happened for you guys over there? I mean, it's like Beatlemania when you guys hit the stage. It's, yeah. it's unreal. The screams of the crowd is just it, it, it's awesome. Yeah. I think our music has reached a lot of places that I never imagined that it would, you know, like you're saying, Southeast Asia. We And, and I, I think I attribute that a lot to the fact that when uh, when we first kind of had some success, for some reason, we, we, we really wanted to tour the world. Well, I mean, not for some reason, but we all wanted to tour the world, you know. And uh, at the time, I think a lot of bands, um, you know, bigger bands, they didn't rely so much on touring because records were selling and there was tons of money and they were like, oh, we don't have to go and tour those places. And we were like, hey, we're, we're going to go. So we ended up going to like the Philippines and Thailand and Indonesia and all of Australia and South America and even down to South Africa. And I think playing those shows early on really kind of established a, a cool relationship with our fan base down there. Because back then, you know, we'd be walking the streets of those cities and you'd see, okay, Simple Plan show tonight, Friday, whatever. And then the next show would be like three months from now, there'd be another band coming in town, but there wouldn't be that many. And now with file sharing and the whole Napster thing that happened and, you know, bands realizing that, okay, touring can be an actual moneymaker. Now you go to those places, uh, whether it's South America or all of Southeast Asia, and there's shows all the time. People are going there all the time. But the fact that we went there early on really created a nice connection with our fan base, and uh, we could still see, you know, still see it from that today. But you're right. I mean, not a lot of punk rock bands or, or, or bands that weren't, you know, 
pop machines or had radio behind them were going to those countries. You had to have, you know, you weren't just going to go there. You had you had to be on the radio. You had to be on TV there to have an audience. Yeah. And uh, it, it's it, it sounds like you guys uh, you guys struck it uh, struck gold there, which is which is great. One of the big reasons why we had such success over there, I think. Our, our songs, I, I'm just a sucker for a big hook. I've always have been. And if I listen to new stuff and I don't hear a hook within the first minute and a half, I kind of tune out. I want, I, I love Tom Petty. I love the Beatles. I love stuff that's got these big hooks, you know? So we've always written those. And I think um, sometimes to our detriment, I think that our songs are so catchy, they're like, oh, I don't want to hear that ever again. But we've always written these simple, big hooks. And I think that really helped us get a fan base in places that people don't speak the language as much because they can, you know, they, they can grasp onto welcome to my life. They get that. They can, they can grasp onto, I'm sorry, I can't be perfect. They, they understand those simple hooks with the melodies. And that really helped us to kind of create a big fan base in those areas where, you know, in South America or like we said, all over, uh, European countries that don't speak English that much, you know, and that's kind of helped us out. So. Yeah, well, you, you know, you had a number of songs that, uh, and I, I didn't look at any stats. I hadn't looked at YouTube plays or Spotify plays. And Chris had asked me, what song you want to do? And I love Addicted. That was actually probably my first choice. But then the more I thought about it, and then he started researching, he goes, actually, Perfect is their biggest song. I said, yeah, it, it's it's the lyrics in this song, man. Yep. It, it, it's the bottom line. The song's great, yep. but the song really, it, the song is second nature. I, I feel that these lyrics over... Uh, three or four different chord progressions or different songs could have maybe hit just as hard. Totally, I, and that's not to take anything away from the music or the melodies. It's it's this it's this lyric that I've seen girls crying, guys crying in the front row on Warp Tour when you play this song. Yep. Uh, before we uh, get into the song, you know, I had I had read, and uh, you can shed some light on this, that you guys were writing with Arnold and recording for maybe a year and a half before the record was released. Is that true? You were you were just coming up with all these songs, and where was Perfect in there? Right. So I actually had to call Chuck a little bit earlier to confirm the timeline because I was like, I think I'm pretty, because <laughs> I knew we were talking about this song, and I was like, I'm pretty sure I, I know what the timeline is, but I'm going to confirm with Chuck just to make sure, and I was correct. So the way that the, a quick little timeline is that uh, so we wrote all a bunch of songs that we were trying to we, basically we had the band before with Chuck you know we had the band called Reset and uh, as you said it was more of a kind of a skate punk faster music and we did that for five six years and then we just kind of felt like you know we saw we started listening to stuff like Blink One Eighty Two and Enema of the State came out and Enema of the State came out and we thought like this is so cool and it's a little bit poppier and we love it so we started a new band that other band had kind of broken off. Uh, but we, we started this band and it was like, let's write some big hooks, you know, let's write some, some, a little more pop leaning stuff, but let's really embrace the fact that I love writing big hooks and strong melodies and let's do that. So we, we wrote a bunch of songs that, that eventually got assigned to, uh, Lava Records early on, but we didn't have perfect yet. So we had the song, I do anything we had, I'm just a kid. We had a bunch of other songs that never ended up making the record. Um, but we got signed and then Arnold, who we ended up using because our management company that picked us up had a relationship with them because Arnold Lanny's brother is Rob and he's one of our managers. Um, so we started working with Arnold and yes, we, so we got signed and our, our record label at the time, Lava, who uh, was run by Jason Flom and our a &R was uh, Andy Carp, sorry, greatest guy ever. 
he was like, okay, guys, now go back in the studio and write some more and let's make this record. Because we had like five or six songs that were good, but we didn't have enough for a record. So we went back and started writing. We'd go in the studio in Toronto with Arnold, and then we'd go back home and like write more. And he was like, go listen to some old stuff. Go listen to Elvis Costello. Go listen to you know the Beach Boys. And even though we were familiar with these records, he was like, just dive into that stuff and just you know go for it. So we wrote, wrote, wrote. And I remember uh, writing the song Perfect, we were at Chuck's parents' house, which is where I've always rehearsed my entire childhood uh, since the age of 13. His parents' basement was just our, our rehearsal studio. That's where we just rehearsed. So we were out there, and we started writing this song Perfect. And I remember Chuck who uh, came up with the idea of the lyric, which I give him so much credit for. Because at the time, you know, we were... At this time, we were probably about 19 years old or so, and we'd been in a band for a long time. And, you know, even though our parents were supportive of it, there's always that pressure. Your parents are like, what are you doing? You're wasting your time. You're, you're in a band. Like, and they, they, they love us. You know, they, our parents love us and they want to support us. But at some point, you, you feel for your child like you should probably go to school. You should probably do something <laughs> else. You know, this is the, the, the chances of you having success in this business is very small. So, um, and we felt the pressure. We felt like, well, I, I want to do this. I want to, you know, I want to be in a band. I want to make music. I, people, you know, we're playing small shows and you should see the reaction and we're good at this and we could do it. And they're like, well, we know, we know you're good, but can you just go to school and this could be your, this could be just your weekend thing. And we're like, <laughs> your, no, your backup. <laughs> exactly. Your backup. So, and then, ended up, and, and that, so the lyric came from that. It came from telling our parents like, you know, I'm sorry, I don't, I'm not going to be what you want me to be, but hopefully you can you can forgive that and hopefully you can see that we're that we're doing something big you know well again you know the producer Arnold Lanny on on paper when I found out and I, and I knew who he was as soon as I was researching I'm like oh my gosh you know the, the guy from sheriff which I, I, like I told you I, I love that song a lot of the pop punk bands you know they were using the Jerry Finns the Don Gilmores the Neil Avrons and he seemed really out of left field and especially on this track I kind of think that that uh, you know, all the stars aligned for you guys. Like he was kind of the right guy at that moment to to do this record. Would you agree? Yes, absolutely. And so, like, I'll, I'll I'll circle back here. So when we got our management company was the first one to pick us up. So when we first started the band, we really were looking for management companies for you know entertainment lawyers for labels. And one company that answered back all of our packages we were sending out was called Coalition Entertainment at the time. Now it's Coalition Music. And they became our manager. And so the deal that they worked out with us is like, hey, we'll manage you. In exchange, you'll make a record with Arnold Lanny. And at the time for us, as you're saying, people were using the Jerry Fins, all those kind of things. We're like, that's pretty cool. But as a Canadian, there was this band called Our Lady Peace, so you talked about earlier, that Arnold Lanny had produced all their records. And they sound great. They're amazing. And they're very different. They don't sound like pop punk. They don't sound like Good Charlotte, Sum 41, Blink-182, Green Day. They sound like there's a lot of intricacies. And we were a little bit kind of like, uh, not exactly the guy we want to use, but damn, these records are amazing. So let's do it. And Our Lady Peace in Canada was massive. I think they had a diamond record. They were they were really successful. So we felt comfortable with that. But he definitely brought a lot of those little intricate parts in the songs. And his I think his talent is really to take a song and decorate it in a cool way. So for Perfect, we as a band, Chuck and I mostly wrote uh the, the music for the, for the song, the lyrics, the melodies, all that stuff. And we brought it to Arnold as we would do back in the day. And uh, the one thing I have to say that he, he changed on the song that I think really made it much better is that we... The, the song would play, you know, regular verse, and it would go into this big chorus with a big band, like, because we lost it all, with the whole band playing big distorted guitars. And he was like, guys, 
Why don't we build up, build up, build up, and at the chorus, we just drop everything and just have some vulnerability there. And we were like, what? What are you talking about? That's crazy. It's a chorus. We should be rocking out. And uh, so we tried it in the studio, and we're like, ah, this guy knows what he's talking about, you know? Um, so that was the biggest <laughs> thing that he did on that song was really bring that to the table. Because most of the time, so I would say 99% of the time, we'd write a whole song, and then we'd bring it to him, and he'd be like, hmm, I like that, don't like that, go back and rewrite this. He didn't actually write it with us, but helped us kind of frame it and put it all together. For that one, that was the biggest thing he came up with was like, let's let's make this chorus small and vulnerable instead of big and, you know, full on guitars and drums. It'll be a lot more intimate. And he was totally right. Yeah. And I think it's uh, it, it makes the last chorus when everything comes in that much more impactful. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, do you recall doing a demo for the song? There is a demo somewhere. It would have been, yeah, the kind of off the floor at the time. The way that it worked with him, so he had a nice studio in Toronto. We'd go out there with whatever car we could borrow from one of our parents, and we'd drive out to uh, to Toronto, which is about a six, five-and-a-half-hour drive from Montreal. And uh, we'd sleep in the studio, and we just would practice and put these songs together. And then for demos, we'd all be in the big room and put some mics up and just press record, and that's the demo, and we'd send it to the label. There was no recording of the demo. Um, so there's got to be an off-the-floor of that song somewhere, and I'm going to try to find it. Um, but uh, but yeah, so that's kind of how it worked, and we put it together, and we sent it to to Andy Carp, our A&R in, in, uh, in New York, and he was like, this is great. And Jason Flom, who was the president of Lava, great music guy, he was the one that kind of knew this song was going to be a hit. So he was like, because he had younger kids at the time, and he would play all the stuff to his kids, and he said, Simple Plan is going to be huge, and I know why, because my kids constantly want to keep hearing these songs and he says perfect is a song that my daughter <laughs> loves and i'm going to push this until the day i die this is going to be a smash i know it and that's kind of that's kind of how it went because it took a while for that song to kind of pick up and he just never gave up your kids are a good gauge for things if they yeah. want to hear it again you know there, there's something to be said about that all right so we're gonna uh we're gonna jump into the song now pierre uh the song is four minutes and 37 seconds uh it begins with a 12 second clean guitar intro man i love this sound this uh, clean guitar is panned off to the left, but with a really nice delay effect that is then panned to the right. Uh, at the 13 second mark, the band drops in, the stereo guitars come in the bass, and there's an octave guitar uh, running through this whole part that's slightly panned off to the right. According to plan And do you think I'm wasting my time Doing things I want to do But it hurts when you disapprove all along and Hey dad, look at me Think back and talk to me Did I grow up according to plan? And do you think I'm wasting my time Doing things I want to do But it hurts when you disapprove all along yeah, I mean, that's the thing, you know, the lyrics are pretty straightforward. You hear that and you think of a bunch of kids that are in a band. And like I said, our parents have been supportive of us, but they couldn't help it at the time 
to be very fearful of us. We were dropping out of school. So I never went to college because I focused on music. And my parents were like, you yeah. can't do this. Like, you you cannot, like, this doesn't make any sense, you know? And I was like, well. I got the same speech. <laughs> I, exactly. So I have to do this. And the same thing for Chuck. And Chuck was always more of a school guy. His grades were amazing. He was headed to law school. He dropped out of law school to be in this band. So his parents, you know, even though they, like I said, they love us and support us and they're the best parents ever. They were not stoked on that, you know, and this song is an, an, a, a direct response to like, hey, this is how I feel. And, and, and I'm sorry that I can't be perfect. I can't be what you want me to be. But yeah, it's, it's really a conversation between it's, it's really a speech of us talking to our parents and more specifically fathers because it, it was harder to say, hey, mom and dad. <laughs> so we just picked it. We just picked dad. <laughs> Hey, everybody, don't you dare go anywhere. There's lots more Chris to Makes a Podcast after these messages from our sponsors. Buying Up All Your Gray, the new EP from PAC, is now streaming on Spotify, Apple Music, and anywhere else you get your tunes. Featuring members of the Juliana Theory, Zayo, and Punchline, Pack brings decades of indie, hardcore, and alternative influence to their debut release. Limited edition screen printed vinyl available now at mindovermatterrecords.com. Hey you, do you have any plans this year? Ha! How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2 020-D.com, SoundTalentMedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app. And now, back to the show. No, and, and I got to tell you something. That's why I, I love doing this podcast, because to me, seeing those men and women crying in the front row, singing every lyric, I'd say a lot of them were relating this because they came from a broken home. These were latchkey yeah. kids, had a terrible relationship. Maybe they're, they're, they were abused. Uh, who knows? Uh, whereas this song kind of alludes to that. That's what I thought it was about. Like yeah. you or Chuck came from a broken home. And it's really just, you know, the, the disappointment of your parents and going, hey, this is what I want to do with my life. But look how it has affected people lyrically. But that's what you know. That's what's amazing. Funny, what's funny to me. That's is awesome. Because that because you do say, you know, it, insp- it probably inspired so many kids that come from broken homes. But I think beyond that. Even the kids that have good relationships with their parents or, or, you know, it's, it's a difficult time when you're a teenager and you're growing up, we all know how it is. Yeah. It's tough, you know? And it's like, you feel like everything that, that happens in your life is, is very dramatic and everything that your parents ask you is too much. And, and I think that this song, the reason why it became so popular is yes, it does relate to people that have terrible upbringings. Absolutely. But even the ones that have 
decent upbringings will always feel like, oh, I never know. Like I felt my parents were disappointed in what I wanted to do. And that connects with them on, you know, such a broad general level, you know? So I think that, that it, it kind of, it's yeah. People that I've, that I've talked to fans have told me like, no, my parents and I have a good relationship, but man, this song was so important to me, you know, and it's, that's, what's cool about it. Yeah. To me, the, the lyrics are, I made them out darker uh, than they kind of are. You know, I really thought they were a lot darker. That's really interesting. Uh, This first verse, uh, it breaks down to just that clean guitar from the top. Uh, and there's a great syncopated drum pattern uh, here uh, that Chuck's playing. There's no bass in this verse. Uh, and I got to say, I had it written in my notes here. Chuck is your secret yeah. weapon. Yeah, yeah, he's amazing. I mean, he's yeah. just, what a, what a great, great drummer. He's also the main lyricist of the band. So I do a lot of lyrics with him, but he's always been the one who comes up with that first thing. Like, whether it's like, Welcome to My Life. He was like, we should write a song called Welcome to My Life. And he's like, it should be about, have you ever felt like this, 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 that? Well, Welcome to My Life. And that, you know, I, I come in there and then we fill it in together. I do all the music and all the lyrics and, and lyrics with him and melodies. But he, I have to give him credit. Like, all those songs, um, if I can go through all of them, Jet Lag, uh, you know, all those those big, that big hook, he comes up with it first. He's got a big old notepad of like all the all the hooks. And then together we put them together. So on top of being the secret weapon of drums. <laughs> yeah, no, and I can relate because that was uh, Vinny's role in the band all the years. He's, he was with us, our drummer. You know, yep. he came up with all, with all the lyrical concepts. And I was writing the melodies and filling in words here and there. Yep. Uh, you know, I also wrote here that the guitars here, they almost have like a keyboard overtones to them, the way that they're, they're, they're layered there. And uh, it just kind of takes me back to the, that 80s thing with I'll, I'll, I'll reference Arnold again. I just, For sure. The more that uh, I was getting into this song I, and I found... I didn't find out that he produced this tune until like two days ago, and I was like, ah, now, now I hear, and I think I think it's great. Uh, getting into pre-chorus one, uh, the bass comes in here, and the guitar chords are ringing out a little bit more, and they're slightly more overdriven on this part. And here, uh, on the next four lines, we have harmonies, first vocal harmonies we hear in the song. Now I try hard to make it. I just want to make you proud. I'm never going to be good enough for you. Can't pretend that I'm all right. And the last line is just just Pierre. And you can't change me. The vocals go up an octave there for the first time, signaling a lift into the chorus where what you were just talking about, you think it's going to come in, the big guitars, boom, that it just drops out there. Yeah. Everything dro- everything drops out uh, into the chorus. So again, talk about these uh, lyrics in the pre-chorus before we get into the chorus. Yeah, it's just a, it's just a continued conversation, and as you said, I think that um, it connected with a lot of people that had you know difficult relationships with their parents. But it, it really is a conversation about us as guys in bands saying like, I try hard to make it. I want to be successful. I want to be something in in my life. I just want to make you proud, but I'm never going to be good enough for you because you want me to be a dentist or a lawyer or this or that, but I'm never going to be that, you know? And then uh, and you can't change me. It's the it's the coming to realization that like. Or telling your parents, like, I'm going to do this, and I'm sorry, but I can't not do it. You know what I mean? So that's where yeah. it comes. It's just, it's, just a, it's just really a simple conversation. And that's what I love about music. You know, you can write a simple thought, and if it just connects in the right way, it just works out, you know? 
I love that that octave vocal up there signals a lift into chorus one and you think, bang, yep. it's going to happen. And then the bottom drops out. And a minute and 12 seconds, we're into chorus one. That uh, clean guitar from the top is back with a delay with just the vocals for the first three lines. And uh, man, there's a killer delay effect on the vocals here too. There's some treatment there. Nothing lasts forever. I'm sorry, I can't be perfect. Now it's just too late, and we can't go back. I'm sorry, I can't be perfect. Did Arnold mix the record as well? He did. He did. And I just, I love the treatment on the vocal. It just surrounds, especially in headphones, it just surrounds uh, my, my whole head when I'm listening to it. It's really cool. The chorus is, because uh, we lost it all, nothing lasts forever. I'm sorry, I can't be perfect. And at that point, the bass and the drums come in. The guitars are still doing the same patterns for the rest of the chorus. Almost sounds like uh, the keyboards are here again, but it's those delayed guitars. Uh, and the next couple lines, now it's just too late and we can't go back. I'm sorry, I can't be perfect. And there's harmonies on too late, go back, and I'm sorry, I can't be perfect. The end of uh, the chorus here on, on the word perfect, there's a slight guitar swell that, uh, that goes back into the reintro of the band. So this chorus here now, from your demo, did you guys have any harmonies on the demos or was just kind of just, a, like you said, a, a raw practice tape? And, and, and were the harmonies kind of your idea or, or uh, in, in correlation with Arnold? Did he come up with a lot of the harmonies? This is, where, this is where they should be. I got to give credit to Arnold for a lot of that stuff. First of all, you know, you mentioned a lot of those guitar things. He was really, he's kind of a mad scientist. And he, especially back then, so we're talking about, you know, we're probably recording this in 2001. So, you know, even though Pro Tools has been around for a long, for a while already, all that treatment, the reverses, all those delays, all the things is pretty, at the time, it's pretty avant-garde. You know what I mean? It's kind of, it's kind of out there. And he was, it was all, still in its infancy. Yeah, it was. And he was all about that. He would just sit there and he, and, and Jeff, our guitar player and him. We recorded that record for literally like a year and a half. So it was a lot of experimentation, different things, and he'd have them play it over and over again and different things and different tones and and put it all together. And that was really the genius of Arnold Lanny. And like like I said, he did mix it on top of that. That was his deal. He's like, I'm making this record, but I'm mixing it. And I'm like, all right, cool. So it's got a it's got an interesting sound to it. It doesn't sound like everybody else, but that's what's kind of cool about it. And as you said, a lot of those guitar delays, they sound like keyboards, and that's all just guitars. I don't think we recorded any keyboards boards at all in this whole record this record still sounds like it could be this particular track uh, sounds like it still could be current today yeah it could exactly. be on the radio it, the, the, it doesn't sound it doesn't sound dated in that respect yeah and the harmonies i think that he was really into harmonies he's a you know he's a singer himself or not a great singer i'm sorry but he, he he's a songwriter you know writing all this stuff himself uh, but he loved harmonies and we plastered this record with so much harmonies thrack it like stacking three-part harmonies on everything and we just we recorded them all and he would just like put them in take them out put them in take them out but i mean if you go back to how much vocals we recorded there's harmonies on everything it's crazy yeah the first record we did which you ended up doing uh, a record i want to say uh did you do get your heart on with howard benson uh we did um no the last one we did was uh uh What's it called? Taking one for the team with Howard Benson. Yeah, that was okay. So, I, you know, I, I've I had Howard on the show. Howard uh, taught me how to sing because we did our first. He, one of the first ever records recorded in Pro Tools was Less Than Jake's Hello Rockview. Uh-huh. And after that record, it was like you said, we'd come in. He would have us record these harmonies, and the next day he'd come in and he, he would have this one here and that one there. Yeah. And I had to re- I had to replicate that. Yeah. 
I really had to learn how to sing, and it was due, you know, I, I can give that credit to Howard and Pro Tools. It made me a much better singer because I didn't want to go out there and, and, and crap the bed on stage and not yep. be able to pull it off. I wanted to be able to, to, to replicate what we had, so that, that's an interesting uh, thing that you brought up. Um, we get into the full band reintro, same as the top of the song, 13 seconds, and now we're into verse two. The whole band is here on top, uh, right at the top of verse yep. two. It doesn't break down here. The whole band's in. It's still those clean guitars. Bass is just, you know, kind of there doing doing some tasteful note placement. Nothing nothing over the top. I try not to think about the pain I feel inside. Did you know you used to be my hero? All the days you spent with me now seem so far away. And it feels like you don't care and the lyric is, I try not to think about the pain I feel inside. Did you know you used to be my hero? All the days you spent with me now seem so far away. And it feels like you don't care anymore. So I, I feel like the first verse of this song is really a, an exact conversation of what we probably have with our parents. And at that point, we're like, all right, let's push it a little further. You know, like, you know, and, and I had to give like a disclaimer to my dad. I'm like, by the way, dad, I love you. I think you're a great. You're still dad. my hero. Yeah, you're still, I don't want. I don't want you because because you know I, our parents when they first heard this song, my dad was crying. He's like, "Oh my god!" I'm like, "I'm like, listen, I love you. We're just trying to take this art. We're trying to take this inspiration and push it further and make it, you know, make it as good as it can be." So, well, that that was the line that got me. Yeah. You, did you know you used to be my hero? Like, you know, I don't look at you that way anymore. Yeah. You know, you hurt. You it's hurt. It's heavy. Me. It's heavy. Yeah, well, it is, and that and that was the line that made me think that this wasn't what the song is actually about. I was yeah. like, okay, this is a broken home type song, and I, I was for I was certain about it again, not only from that specific lyric, but from just seeing the crowd reaction. Yep, for sure. Uh, I saw. I've seen it live numerous times, and then of course researching the live videos of the song. And I always go and look at the live videos. I like to see if bands do it in a different key, for if sure. they do different arrangements, and sometimes they do. And you guys usually keep this uh, kind of what it is here. I think we're. I think that's. That's the one, one of the few songs we still play in the same key, I think. I didn't see one that was in a different key because I would have I I yeah, yeah, mentioned no, it. I think it's the same key. <laughs> Most of our new songs, now that we've pushed ourselves so high uh, in uh, in the studio, I'm like, I there's no way I'm singing that in the same key. But back then, <laughs> I think probably because we were, we were recording all these demos off the floor, I had to sing it. So it wasn't like, yeah. you know, just get to the chorus once and you'll be okay. It's like, I got to sing this whole thing. So I used to, right, we right. used to write songs in keys that made more sense back then. I'm right there with you. Yeah. I'm right there with you. Pre-chorus two comes in, and now I try hard to make it. I just want to make you proud. I'm never going to be good enough for you. And then the last two lines change here. I can't stand another fight. And those four preceding lines all have harmonies on them. And then it's just you again here. And nothing's all right. And we lift into chorus number two, which is pretty much the same as chorus one. But the bass guitar is moving a little bit more on the back half of this chorus with mm-hmm. more notes. So the song is building. Never, I'm sorry, I can't be perfect. Now it's just too late. And we can't go back. I'm sorry, I can't be Again, the harmonies are on too late, go back, and I'm sorry I can't be perfect, those back three lines. On perfect here, the harmony changes. 
and it's great. Uh, as the band goes up to the A sharp instead of the G sharp here to set up for the bridge that starts in G sharp. So it launches off the A sharp. Uh, and the bridge, the, the feel and the groove changes here. The stereo guitars, uh, bass and drums are here with some great fills uh, by Chuck. This is where uh, we, we take a departure and the song kind of kind of goes somewhere else for a minute. Can't be perfect. Then everything drops out right there. And we'll get into the next part in a second. But these lyrics in the bridge, uh, to talk about where we're going here. Yeah, I think um, when, when I when I read those back, because, um, you know, you, you play those songs every night for 20 years. You don't even think about them, you know. But now that I'm, I'm picking it apart and analyzing it, I think that Simple Plan, as I said, and we've established before, our relationship with our parents are pretty good. You know, I mean, I would say really good. My, my parents are awesome. And, you know, they love me and they support me. And same for Chuck. You know, Sebastian comes from a family that uh, his parents were separated, and um, and Jeff had a difficult relationship with his father. But I think that Chuck, as a lyricist, and myself, I think that when we started writing these songs, even early on, we started to understand like this song. Yes, it's got to be from me. It's got to be from my life. But it can go beyond that. You know, we can we can look at people out there and be like, what we're gonna write a song for these people that have had more difficulties than we've had you know and even to this day we still write songs today that i kind of inspire myself from fans that we see that we talk to and i want to talk about things that are that people are struggling with you know and sometimes we have to dig deeper than what our own lives are you know and i can really hear it in that in that bridge it was like let's take this to the kids that really have struggled with their parents and that have maybe been abused or maybe have come from real broken homes that have had horrible situations happen to them you know and this is where i can really tell that we understood that maybe this band's message is bigger than just who we are you know it's writing songs for these people it's writing songs for and that kind of uh, became even more true with, you know, later on, Welcome to My Life, and wrote a song called This Song Saved My Life because we met so many fans that felt like, I would not be here today if I, if I didn't have your music. And we're like, holy shit, like, this band is bigger than who we are. This, is, this has become a voice mm -hmm. for other people. And I can really hear it in that bridge where it says, you know, now you can tell there's a real fight going on. Nothing's going to change the things that you said. Just really, to me, that's where I, I, I can see where we understood as a band, this our fan base and who this band represents is bigger than who we are as people. Yeah, and that's uh, that's awesome that you say that because you can't get a higher compliment from somebody that you, your band saved my life, or yeah. your band uh, you know, changed me, or they, they lift up their shirt and show you the band tattoo for exactly. life. I mean, that's, that, that's, uh, that, that's awesome. Um, I love coming out of this bridge again. Uh, Again, on the word understand on the back half stand, the delay comes off it. And then we're into a reintro again where it's just that guitar by itself. But there's a little trickery going on here, a little fake out. It's only one and a half measures of this by itself before the whole band comes in for a half measure. It's totally out of left field. And then you're into chorus three. Yeah. 
And uh, we're at the three minutes and 36 second mark at this point. Now you're getting the double chorus and the full band's in for the first time. Here it is. Yeah. Here it is. And I'm, I'm assuming this is what you wanted chorus one and two to be. And Arnold would put the brakes on. Exactly. That's what it was supposed to be on the first chorus. And he was like, no, no. We really thought he was crazy. We're like, what are you talking about? How can you just drop out on the first chorus? And now I feel like I've used that so many times in songwriting with uh, for our band or other people. And I see it, especially like in dance music, if you see club songs where it's like, do, 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 do. And then, boo. And then the chorus hits. And it's like, I had, you know, and, and that was one other thing that, that Arnold really taught us um, as a producer and as a, a mentor at the time. We were always full on, you know, from my reset days, it was like, and he was like, you guys only have two, you have two modes. You have zero or 10. He's like, there's a lot of in between there that you need to explore. And we're like, you're crazy, man. Just crank it up and just go. But he really uh, instilled that into us. And he even said something that to this day, we still use sometimes live. He said back in the day, he said, watch if you play really, really, really quietly and then go to something bigger, everyone will start to listen way more. And I was like, huh. And it's true. So that was where that whole thing, come back to after the bridge, come back to the... Mm-hmm. And then just give it everything at the end. And that really taught us a lot about dynamics and, uh, and how you can take the listener somewhere rather than just give it, you know overdrive all the time so yeah and, and and there's some bands that just have made a career out of that you know the pixies and nirvana and yep. super chunk they just have the that dynamic thing and there's something so important about what he told you and i'm glad yep. you took that with you because it's it's such a great lesson because that's uh my early career it was everything it's got to be 100 miles an hour and it's got to be this way or it's not aggressive and all those yep. things you think and then you have someone tell you otherwise and and at first you might go yeah this old dude's crazy which at the time that old dude arnold he was my age now he was yep. about 47 when he was producing you back then yeah which is crazy <laughs> yeah and and we had some tough times with him you know because we you know we got signed and even before we got signed we started writing these songs and uh you know we did we couldn't get a record deal you know and it was very difficult we go to his studio and he was gracious enough to give us the studio and we would sleep there there was like little bunks in a little room with no windows um, and, uh, we, at some time, sometimes we got discouraged. We were like, you know, we were supposed to get a deal with Sony Canada and it fell through because a new president came in and was like, I don't like this band. I don't want to sign these guys. And we're like, Oh my God, our lives are over. And we went back to the drawing board and wrote <laughs> some more songs and, um, and, uh, we made it eventually, but yeah, he gave us that opportunity to, to be there. And he was, he was kind of a crazy guy. He's always been very eccentric. Um, and we had some fights and we had some times where he, he kicked us out of the studio at some point because he thought we were disrespectful and like we had to go and rent like a holiday in <laughs> room for the night. It was, uh, it was a wild time, you know, but it created this cool record that really kind of, you know, created Simple Plan. It created who we are and all those little intricacies of like all, like you said, in this song and all the songs on the record have so many intricate parts, whether it's harmonies or little weird noodly guitar parts at the end that are, you're like, what the hell is going on there? Well, that's, that was yeah. him that was pushing us all the way. That's, that's very cool. Well, here, you know, on the, on the other choruses, we don't get any backing vocals till, till, till later. But uh, the lyric again is, because we lost it all and nothing lasts forever. I'm sorry I can't be perfect. And on those three lines, uh, on it all, forever, and I'm sorry I can't be perfect, there's harmonies all through there. And there's harmonies on the next three lines. Now, it's just too late, uh, and we can't go back. I'm sorry I can't be perfect. On on that line, it's just too late. Uh, on late, the melody changes slightly there on that yeah. one word. I love things like that. Yeah, I love that. Candy, you candy, yeah. Yeah, do you do you recall if that was something? I know it's we're going back 20 years. Is that something off the cuff with you? Or is that something maybe that Arnold suggested? Hey, we got we to gotta change it up here. 
I don't remember specifically on this song, but I know that he was really about that. He was also, uh, he really loved all, he was an 80s guy, right? So he's like, he's of like chorus, 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 chorus. I think he wanted to do like two more choruses. And we're like, no, no, dude, we got, <laughs> we got to pump the brakes here. He just wanted to keep going. But um, but yeah, he. I, I think that what's cool when I think about that record and all the things he taught us is all those little things that, you know, like the last chorus, you got to change it up. You got to do a little something. Um, and he really, I mean, yeah. I have to, I have to give him so much credit as a, for me as a songwriter and, and now as a producer, like he's given me all these tools that I'm forever grateful for, you know, but that was definitely a lot of his influence and especially he was really into the guitar part. So I'm sure I have to listen to it again now, but there's got to be some guitar changes up in there and some cool stuff going on too. You know, there's a couple things we'll talk about. Well, again, this is the only double chorus in the song and on the back half here, what I like is it changes yet again on this there's harmonies on everything except the last line and the very last word perfect. There's some cool whoa, whoa, whoa backing vocals that are kind of floating back here. You can't really make out what they're saying. It's almost like they're saying words, but it's more like a whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, and the octave guitar from the top of the song comes back in for only the second time uh, in the song and the last time of the song. Uh, and there's some really, really cool uh, bass runs here to accentuate uh, more of Chuck's killer drumming, which which I which I really like. But I love that the octave guitar never, because that's a hook at the top of the song when that comes in. Mm-hmm. It, never, it never comes back in until the end of the song. You, you saved it for for that last chorus, which is great. Uh, and on the last line, "Perfect" is sung alone uh, by Pierre. You 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 sing that uh, alone, and uh, the song ends on the G sharp, which I call the suspense chord. It never resolves back to D sharp, and yep. I'm a sucker for that. Of I've course. talked about that a million million times on the show. I love the the suspense chord there. So again, in in, in wrapping up the the song here, is that from what you remember, was that how the song ended or was that something Arnold brought to it or, or is that kind of how you envisioned it uh, on, that, on those practice demos? There was so much collaboration there. I'm sure it was something that we all agreed on. Yeah, I mean, I can't remember specifically, but I think that, that that's something that, another thing that we learned back then is like, you know, suspense, all those things that you can make the listener feel that I wasn't aware of when I was in my band previously. And I'm like, and th- these are all things that, that uh, you know, that we all learned together during that, I think it was over two years by the time we were done from the demos to the to the record, um, but yeah, it's a it's and and all that stuff like like you were talking about how the, how the the harmony comes in and out there, but then it's not on that one and it's on this one. That was absolutely Arnold in the mixing process. He had me sing so much, and he would just kind of use it here and there. And I think that's cool because it keeps the listener interested. They don't even know why, but it sounds a little different. You know, there's something about the last chorus is not the same as the other one. Why? I can't really put my finger on it, but you did obviously because you're analyzing it. But for most yeah. people, it just keeps it going. You know, um, so yeah, lots of great lessons from a from a wise, crazy man. He was, he's he's uh, I love Arnold so much, and if he ever hears this, you know, I, I think I should give him a call after this. Um, but uh, a really, really sweet man. And uh, I, I, he had so much patience back in those days with us. And we were young kids and we'd mess around, goof around the studio and sleep there. And he was like, you know, he'd come in the morning and we just, we had like super soaker fights. He's like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> 
<laughs> well, if you do talk to him, tell him the dude from Less Than Jake says hello, and he loves loves his music and, and awesome. loves what he did with loves what he did with you guys. And uh, another another conversation down the road. I want to pick your brain. Uh, damn you! You got to do a record with Bob Rock. He's yep. made some of my favorite records: Motley Crue's "Feel Good," the Black Album from Metallica, and uh, that is just so cool. And you guys ended up giving a song to Motley, "If I Die Tomorrow," which is yes. one of my favorite Crue songs. I love that song, and uh, we'll save it for another time. But yeah. but Pierre, I want to I want to absolutely thank you for for sharing the story with me and for the listeners. I love this song, and uh, you had already mentioned you uh, have a record you've been sitting on, and uh, let the listeners know w- what else is going on in uh, your world or Simple Plans world. Right. So um, yeah, we had a record that was. Uh Pretty much finished uh, when the pan- well almost finished. We finished it right when the pandemic started to happen, like February, March. We've wrapped up this album that we've done, um, and we had a tour lined up in Newfound Glory in 2020, and we were gonna you know release around there, kind of getting it all sorted out. And when that hit, it kind of threw a monkey wrench in the whole thing. So we've been finishing it up, mixing all the the, the record. It's been ready. There's another. Another side of the story as well is that we we've done our, our record deal with, with Atlantic has been finally over, so we're trying to figure out how we're going to release this. So we're going independent, and with a couple of labels that came into the conversation, and then then it came out and didn't work out. So it's been a I, I think our fans are really tired of hearing us say like it's coming out soon, it's coming out soon, but it really is coming out soon, um, and it's awesome. I'm super stoked. Uh, I, I produced a lot of this last record. We did it. We got a couple producers involved, but a few of the songs are just basically me. Um, and uh, with the help of our, our friend Jay Van Puderoyen, who's Brian Howes' kind of a, a engineer guy. So it's really cool. And the songs are great. The fans are going to love them. It's kind of a, a throwback in a lot of ways, but while still moving forward. And uh, I'm excited. It's cool. And then for the rest, you know, we've been kind of like everybody else, stuck at home, doing pandemic world, you know, uh, pandemic life. With I've got two kids. My daughters are now uh, eight and nine years old. And uh, so my life, you know, during this time has been a lot of being a dad and uh, just trying to entertain the family and, and try to find some joys in life. Uh, and also, I'm working on a new project with a kid. His name is Beckett. And uh, that's coming out maybe before Simple Plan. I made a whole album with this kid that lives nearby incredible singer uh, and I'm putting that out pretty soon uh, and it's I've produced everything co-wrote everything with him and I'm super excited about it it's like I think it might I think it might do really well awesome man well congratulations and uh, please, please give my best to the band Say, alright awesome and same to you guys hey everybody don't touch that dial there's plenty more Chris to makes a podcast after a few words from our sponsors ready for a head bangingly good time dive into the world of heavy metal with the brutally delicious podcast here we don't just talk music we welcome you into our heavy metal family join us for candid chats with legends and rising stars we go beyond the typical interviews exploring raw emotions and the life-altering impact of heavy metal so whether you're a die-hard metalhead or just curious join our family and let the headbanging begin with the brutally delicious podcast Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Krista Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is submit your song via MP3 only and your bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. This week's featured band is Exit. They just debuted at number 35 on iTunes' alternative album chart with Bored in America. They were Rock Sound Magazine's breakout artist this month and are currently featured on several Spotify editorial playlists. Here's a snippet of their song, You're On Your Way, Kid. Oh, and how you been? And so it goes, I just need to know what I- 
wrap with Chris and Chris. So, man, small world, how crazy is it that we just recently did an after party episode about guilty pleasure songs where you brought up Sheriff uh, when I'm with you, and it wasn't a week later where we're doing the research for this simple plan mega hit, and Arnold Lanny produced and co-wrote this song. What are the chances of that? That is insane. Yeah, I mean, just just the fact that you know Sheriff is a pretty unknown band and so is when i'm with you so uh and a, a song that i love that as you said we talked about on our after party and uh, here he produced the record i had no idea that he produced that album and when i saw the name i was like why do i know that name i knew i knew it and then i i i, I googled it and there it is i'm like ah and it all makes sense a, a fellow canadian and uh his fingerprints are all over this song i can hear hints of when i'm with you in this song that's pretty cool i mean he reined in what you said i wasn't familiar with reset really but you had told me that they were more of a punk rock band more of an in-your-face punk rock band and it sounds like arnold really reined him into the pop world which he is a master of you have to be a master to be a a guy in his mid-40s at that time uh, because he's he's 65 now a guy in his mid-40s who had a, a a bunch of 19 20 year old kids who were just you could imagine they, you know, like, like he was talking about having water gun fights and they kicked him out of the house at some point and, and to be able to rein in that energy and make it into something. Uh, and again, like I said, this, uh, this record, this song, perfect. Uh, it, it still sounds current today. It doesn't sound like a dated production. It sounds big. Uh, the vocals are great and, uh, it, it's well done. And you talked about the relatability of this song to young people, which, you know, that was exactly who, was hearing this song at the time, this song was big on MTV's TRL, which was like a request show on MTV at the time. And obviously the subject matter, and Chris, I kind of figured, just like you kind of figured, that the inspiration for the song was a little heavier than what it actually was. But it sounds like something that anyone who plays in a band and decides to pursue that as their career, especially as a young person, as a teenager, you're going to experience that little bit of, oh man, what are you doing from your parents? And I I, I can't say that I even blame parents for feeling that way, really. If you put yourself in their shoes, who wouldn't be like, oh man, are you sure about that? That's a very small percentage of people can make it with that particular <laughs> career well, yeah, it's like telling your parents you know I'm, I'm quitting school and i'm getting into this moving target which is this van with four wheels on it with a right. bunch of guys with weird colored hair and piercings and tattoos and we're going to drive around in the worst parts of the city and play music to people oh right okay <laughs> right yeah you, you actually sympathize more for our parents now <laughs> than than you do for uh us uh guys and uh girls in bands but uh but, yeah, you know, I, I, I also thought it was cool that what you and I thought the song was about, uh, you know, was more with, uh, you know, having a falling out possibly with a parent that they kind of melded it into that. They expounded on the initial idea. And as they went into the bridge, they kind of pushed it a little further. And even in the second verse, that line, did you know you used to be my hero, which Pierre even said he had to tell his dad, no, dad, I, I love you. You're still my hero. You know, like their parents heard the song was like well, they were kind of crushed. Like what? You know? Yeah, well, this song kind of runs that gamut of relatability, whether you're a person like you or I or Pierre or Chuck, who are fortunate enough to have, you know, caring parents who 
were supportive, maybe had their little bit of reservations about what we chose to do, but in general were loving and caring to the people that weren't as fortunate and didn't have that sort of situation. You could take something away from this song in one way or another, especially as a, a young person, you know? Yeah, and, and, and when talking to Pierre, and I wanted to tread lightly on this, I didn't bring it up in the episode, but most bands, if you strike gold with a producer such as Arnold Lanny, their first record sold millions of copies all over the place. They were all over TV, MTV, radio. You're going to use that producer again. And for all five of Simple Plan's records, they've used a different producer. A lot of times when you're chasing a producer, you're chasing a hit. You're chasing some kind of success. And they're one of the few bands that continue to work with different... I found that interesting, but I also found it uh, uh, refreshing that uh, yet another guest, Pierre, really credited Arnold with with what he did for this record. He didn't... uh, didn't take away, you know, he, he emphasized what he really did with, with the project and, and, and with molding the, the band's sound. I mean, the easy thing to do <laughs> would be go, to go right back to the same person yeah. who, who helped you craft those hits. But I do respect like wanting to expand your horizons, expand your sound, not get, you know, fall right back into the same sound maybe. And I don't know what the story was there, why they didn't go back to Arnold. I mean, I would assume that the story is, whoa, Bob Rock will do our album because <laughs> like you brought up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that has to be the story, right? <laughs> I would think, you know, you, you never know. I mean, it, it could have been, you know, th- these guys were a, a little on the harder punk rock side, especially coming from, from reset. They, he mentioned all the bands that he was into and, and uh, really this record's a pop record, especially this song. And that a lot of that has to do with Arnold and maybe they wanted to go a little harder on the second record, but I, I respect him for not playing it safe either. You know, the safe route would have been, Hey, let's, let's use the same guy, do the same thing. And a lot of times what happens there is just a carbon copy sonically of the first record, but the songs aren't as good. It's a tricky thing, man, as a band. And I think that all you can do is trust your own instincts and follow your own artistic path because it's kind of like you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. You have half the people that want you to make the same album over and over and over. And then you have the other half of the people that will say, this sounds just like your last album, you know? So it's, you you just got to follow your heart, man. You got to do what makes you feel fulfilled and happy. That's what I think. Absolutely. And and one last thing I want to say, I meant what I said, you know, one of the nicest bands in in, in rock and roll, one of the nicest bands in music. They've always just been, been great. And you'll, you'll you'll find a lot of uh, bands are nice, but they're not great bands. And you'll find a lot of great bands that are amazing bands but they're not nice people and uh simple plan are right there they got they, they're a great band and, uh, and and great people and uh you know they, they deserve every bit of success that uh, they've had and speaking of success chris i want to thank all the listeners of krista makes a podcast who have made our supporting cast program a complete success yes thank you very much our supporting cast program is our vip program here at krista makes a podcast where you for a for a small uh, sm- you know couch change five bucks ten bucks a month you can uh, you can join and get bonus episodes and uh, discounts on merchandise and all kinds of other cool stuff Yep, we have those bonus episodes. Chris, I love every month I reach down to my couch cushions and I pull out a crisp $5 bill. It's awesome. <laughs> it's, one of my, it's one of my favorite moments of the month when I do that. And I use that to subscribe to our supporting cast program. Even though I could probably do it for free, I'm still I'm still subscribed. Last month I found a stale pack of gum and a cigarette and I don't even smoke, so I don't know. <laughs> you're, well. you're, faring, you're faring better than I am. I want to let everybody out there know that I'm still doing one-on-one live Zoom video consultations. If you'd uh, like to collaborate on a song, have me produce a song for you or your band, 
or answer any and all music business related questions, uh, I'm here to help. Email me at kristamakes at gmail.com for more info. And please give me a follow on Instagram at less than Chris D. Yes, do those things. And I think we forgot to mention that to join our supporting cast program, you go to chrisdemakes.com. I think we left that part out. That's an important part. If you got that Chris $5 bill in your couch cushions, or maybe you have a 10 in there. (laughs) Either way, our supporting cast program's cool. And this was another great episode, man. Absolutely. I want to thank everybody who has joined and participates in the Chris Makes a Podcast Facebook group. If you haven't already joined, please do. It's a lot of fun. I want to thank this week's guest, Mr. Pierre Bouvier from Simple Plan. We'll see you next week. Ready for a head-bangingly good time? Dive into the world of heavy metal with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. Here, we don't just talk music. We welcome you into our heavy metal family. Join us for candid chats with legends and rising stars. We go beyond the typical interviews, exploring raw emotions and the life-altering impact of heavy metal. So whether you're a diehard metalhead or just curious, join our family and let the headbanging begin with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from NoFX, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media.